This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. My name's Jerry Polly, and most of you know me as the host of Hillbilly Horror Stories Paranormal Podcast. We get to have some fun conversations about the afterlife on that show, but I'm also a licensed insurance agent. That requires me to have conversations every day about the afterlife that aren't near as fun or comfortable. Conversations like what would happen to your family if you were suddenly gone. Because not only are you gone, but so is your income. How would they pay the bills? How would they pay the mortgage? Would they even be able to stay in the house that they're currently living in? These aren't fun topics to talk about, but it's the harsh, cruel reality. Getting life insurance is the way to protect your family should something unfortunately happen to you. And it will give you peace of mind. So when that time comes, you truly can Rest in peace. If you live in Kentucky, give me a call at area code 502-817-0899 for your free quote. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. Hey guys, welcome to episode 195 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. And we're glad to be back with you this week. Yes, definitely. Hope you guys have had a good weekend so far. I want to say that a big thanks. We had a lot of people reach out to us about last week's episode about Breeze Hill, and, and had a lot of people said they hadn't heard of it, but they thought it was a very interesting story, and we're going to try to find some more of those in the future for you. So, actually, tonight's is kind of going to be like that. So Yeah, well, good. First, we want to give a big thank you to all of our men and women and canines over in the military. Thank you guys for everything that you do. We also want to say a big thank you to all of our civil servants, with a big extra thank you to all of you on the front line of the uh, coronavirus stuff, all of the nurses and CNAs and doctors and paramedics and everybody else that, that's right there. And then we're going to throw in all the truck drivers and everybody that has to still work. If you're listed as an essential and you're still having to work out in the stores or whatever the case is, just thank all of you for what you do. Yes, God bless you guys. Um, also the farmers, you know, I really never even thought about farmers. I mean, they're having their crops and I know they're working hard to keep um, getting that good stuff to the stores and things like that. And hopefully they don't hit a, or have a big hit on their, um, you know, way that they live. And so we're very appreciative of, of you guys. And we just thank you guys for watching over our families and keeping us all safe. We love you and God bless every one of you. All right. I know we, we've talked about this every week, especially since the quarantine started, and it sounds like a broken record, but it's reality. I see it more and more. I, I see it in the group. People posting, you know, hey, I'm about to crack. Uh, I'm, I just, you know, this staying, you know, at the house all the time by myself. Because there's a lot of people, you know, we're lucky as far as Tracy and I, we're quarantined. And there's three people in our house. 
So we actually do get to still talk to each other. and that, But there are people out there that's quarantined by themselves. Yeah. And unless they pick up the phone or they pick up, a you know, the laptop or tablet and talk to somebody, you know, they're just sitting there with their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And your your thoughts can be horrible if you allow them to be. And, you know, once you get inside your head, that's that's the worst feeling in the world. So I'm I'm just asking you to think about your friends, your neighbors, your family members, and anybody that you think might be struggling this time to reach out and talk to them. They don't have to be alone. You might not be able to go to their house, but you can pick up the phone and, and call them or, or send them a message on the computer. Of course. I've seen a lot of people just, you know, have, they have a window pane between them. Mm-hmm. You know what? That works for me. I mean, you know, anything you guys can do um, to reach out will be great. And, you know, like we said, give us a call. We'd love to talk to you guys. Anytime, day or night, we would love to be there for you. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I, and I'll do that. If I see somebody, I will just look over and tell them I'm there for them. Sometimes the guy in the other stall is not real happy about it. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we're here for. That's right. That's right. But anyway, if if you're struggling out there, just, just know there's people out there to talk to. And please use the group or use us or yes, anybody please. else. We would be so happy to talk to you guys. All right. And then if you feel like you would rather talk to a total stranger and maybe somebody that has a little more experience in dealing in those situations, you can call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. And if you're more of a texter, 741-741. So there. All right, guys, we want you all to be happy because we love y'all. Yeah. And before we get started, I owe this to somebody, but I really wanted to bring up, there is a podcast called Depth, D-E-P-T-H, of Darkness. It's a really cool podcast. And they reached out, wanted me to listen to the show. And I started listening to it and I can't get enough. This show, they got like 60 episodes out. It's not a brand new show. Mm-hmm. And the production value is really good on it. And it's just it's just unique. I'll just say that it's unique. It's not like anything else out there. Go listen. I think you'll like it. Yeah. All right. Let's get started. Well, let's do that. This is, you know, we covered... <laughs> An episode a while back on near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying we were going to do another, but I did it a little different. This was actually going to be on out-of-body experiences. Sounds so good. So some of that is kind of what happens in near-death, but then there's other other forms of that, too. And we're going to kind of discuss all of them with a couple of cool examples. So I was wondering if you're going to throw up in your mouth. I'm working on it. <laughs> you struggling, honey? I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel good at the moment, so. Oh, I say. All right, so these things are going to range from near-death experiences to deja vu to astral projecting. So a little bit, a little bit of everything. I think I said astral, like I'm talking about the dog. It's astral, A-S-T-R-E-L. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, yes. I'm pretty sure I said astral projecting. Or right, George. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> this could be an episode... That I hope will be very thought-provoking and insightful, and at the same time, maybe make you examine whether your consciousness lives on after we, as people, pass on. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. There you go. There you go. And we're going to look at some scientific stuff, too. Mm-hmm. So it's not just going to be, hey, this happened. It's, we're going to get into the science behind some of the stuff. Studies in the U.S., England, and Australia have found that one in five people will experience an out-of-body experience in their lifetime. That's pretty strong. That's 20% of us. 
Jack London, Otis Huxley, and D.H. Lawrence all wrote about a vivid event where they had an out-of-body experience where they consciously took a trip without their body. So Tracy, if this is the case, then isn't it possible that your consciousness could survive after death? I think I would believe that. Yeah. These events are usually spontaneous. They can occur during the daytime. They can occur when you're sleeping. They can occur when you're meditating or under anesthesia. Mm-hmm. They can be triggered from stress, physical trauma, or a concussion. So let's talk about our very first case. Michael Joseph. He was 13 years old when he had his out-of-body experience. He went rock climbing with some buddies. They were up in the Sierra Nevada foothills. He was bragging about how good of a climber he was, and, and the other boys kind of, you know, they are. They dared him to go ahead and prove it by climbing up this, this one big-ass hill. He agreed, but the hill had one tricky part as you were climbing up it. There was a decent-sized boulder that you had to kind of maneuver around. So he gets to the part where the boulder is, and his sleeve gets caught on like a small bush, the, the limbs from a small oh, bush. Uh-huh. They get caught up inside of his sleeve. He yanks his sleeve loose, and as he does, he grabs the rock, and the rock came loose. Oh, my Lord. And started to ramble down the hill, and he really didn't have much of a choice but to go with it. Oh, my gosh. He landed at the foot of the hill, and the rock landed on top of him. <gasps> the whole entire rock whole landed rock. on top of his little body. The other boys could move the rock. There's like three other boys. They couldn't move the rock, so they ran back to town to get help. Michael was completely unconscious. He said he felt nothing. Michael then said that he saw a cloud of light, and this cloud was made up of little bitty individual sparkling lights. So picture that. Mm -hmm. All of them together make this cloud. He said they started kind of lifting off what looked like something that was pretty much flat beneath this boulder as it became more clear he sees a face and he was like hey he kind of looks familiar he then realizes it looks familiar because it's him oh he said all he could think was dad is going to spank me when i get home because i broke this body oh bless his heart he said he felt this pop in the back of his head And then he was in instant agony. He couldn't move. And then he said he heard crackling all around him. He had this tremendous burst of energy. And he pushed the boulder off of him. And then instantly passed out. That was Ninja. I did not fart, for the record. Oh, you would smell it even though this is not (laughs) smell-o-vision. You'd smell it. (laughs) They get Michael to the hospital. He was getting ready to now have his second out-of-body experience. Okay, so wait. So when the boys came back with help, the rock was off of him? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So he's in the hospital. He remembers looking down at his body laying on the operating table. And they were putting, he said said they were putting a stain on his chest. You know, and it was probably that... Oh, the orange, orange color stuff. liquid mm-hmm. stuff they put on you. Mm-hmm. And he started thinking, they're going to cut into me and I'm not asleep. Because oh, he's seeing it. Yeah. 
But then he hears his mom and dad praying. This couldn't be possible because they weren't in the operating room. He then looks down. He sees his parents in a waiting room that's several rooms away. Mm -hmm. They are indeed on their knees praying. And he's confused because how can he be seeing them when he's on a table in the operating room? Mm-hmm. How's this possible? Well, that's a lot to think about. Then he's back in the ER. He hears one of the doctors saying that his blood pressure is getting low. Then shortly after that, he hears that infamous flatline oh, sound. Oh, You know that sound. Oh, yeah. Beep. That was a little short. That was more like an answering machine. Mm-hmm. But you get it. Mm-hmm. Extend that out. Mm-hmm. One of the doctors said, we lost him. The other doctor said, no, we haven't. And then he just rips his chest open with the scalpel. This is what he's seeing from above. Michael was aware of everything that was going on. Now, could there be another reason for his knowledge of what just went on? There are some people that will argue that when you're under anesthesia, it's possible that you can still hear what's going on around you. If you're at a teaching hospital, let's say, the doctors may very well be explaining everything that's going on to students or doctors mm-hmm. and, and people that are that are learning. So if that was the case, the person under anesthesia may possibly hear everything that was going on and then get a mental picture of what it what is actually happening. So they can actually see without seeing based mm-hmm. on the description, just like when you listen to a an audio book or if you're reading yeah. a book or something like that, you paint that image in your head there's an author and a cardiologist by the name of michael sabam he wrote a book called the light of death and he's looked at over 300 cases of near-death experiences he says that yes that could explain a few of these cases but not all of them like in this case we just spoke about that would explain the operating room part but not seeing the rock on top of him mm-hmm. earlier and it definitely wouldn't have covered him seeing his parents praying because he can't hear what's going on in two different rooms no, at once. No, not at all. There have been several cases where the person in the ER described the doctors and the nurses operated on them as far as their physical appearance, what color um, scrubs they were wearing, if they had you know glasses on, how tall they were, short they were. All the, so there have been several cases where that's explained. You might have the mental picture of what's going on, but you wouldn't be able to explain anybody in detail if yeah. you were just getting it from the subconscious. God, that had to out. be horrifying for him. Fred Allen Wolf's a PhD and an author of the book, Spiritual Universe. He said that out-of-body experience is the natural way for us. And that, you know, that's really easy. Being in the body is the hard part for our spirits. Hmm. Because basically, you... I mean, when you think about a spirit, it's just out. It just does whatever it wants yeah. to. It can go where it wants, when it wants. But as when it's in a body, you're relegated to what it, whatever it is here on this realm. So well, he I mean, said. But so he said, as a spirit, we last forever. And the easy part is doing the out of body experience, and the hard part is just being held captive in a body. And I can see where that makes sense. He also said, take children for example. How many times? You have to tell a child, especially a very young child, to pay attention. They are in their imaginary realm, and they are out of their bodies a lot. You just don't always realize it. So when you're a lot of times when you're against not paying attention, 
or they're zoned off somewhere, they may be spiritually out of their body for a couple minutes. Oh, dang. I did not know that. There have also been times when mental trauma has brought on an out-of-body experience. For example, people who are being sexually abused have said that they have mentally left their body only to look down from above and actually see what's taking place to them physically. Oh, that's horrible. So many times we hear about somebody having a near-death experience and they see that bright white light. That's what you usually Mm -hmm. hear, right? Uh Oh, I saw the white or go go towards the light. We all know that. We're all familiar with that term. This is usually synonymous with a spirit crossing over. Now, it would be easy to say, yes, we all know that because we've heard it before or we've seen it in a movie or something like that. If someone has a traumatic experience, it may be the reason that they say they saw the white light. But here's something I bet you didn't know. The Tibetan Book of the Dead speaks of the white light, and that was many, many years before anybody here would have ever even seen it in a movie or anything like that. That book was written in the 8th century. So you're talking the 900s is when that book was written, and it was uh, written by Buddhists. It's the book that is meant to help a spirit cross over. The first step tells of the light. It says, and here's the quote, Listen now, thou art experiencing the radiance of the clear light of pure relativity. Recognize it. Even back in the 900s, the Buddhists were saying, you better recognize. Yeah. That is. So our second story involves Pam Reynolds. Pam had an arterial aneurysm of the brain that required surgery. But here's the thing. To do the surgery, her brain literally had to be frozen. They put Pam in a medically induced coma. They put her body at 60 degrees to be able to do this. They stopped her breathing and her heartbeat. She technically, by all medical aspects, was clinically dead. During this time, Pam had a series of experiences. She was looking down at herself on the table. She saw the top of her head and the top part around the brain was cut off. Oh my gosh. So the way they operated the brain. She knew it was her, but at the same time, she thought, how can this be me when I'm watching? She said she felt a presence and she turned around. She saw a pinpoint of light. The light started pulling her a little bit closer. As it did, she heard her grandma's voice talking to her. She wanted to know what this light was made of. You know, was this God? She sees her grandma and several other souls that have passed on. Some she recognized, others she didn't. But she knows that there was some kind of connection even to the Mm -hmm. ones she didn't know. They would not let her go into the light, though. She acknowledged that she wanted to go to the light and she asked why they would not allow it. And they said, if they let her go into the light, they could not reconnect her with her body. Right. Well, I mean, that makes sense. So her and her uncle traveled down this tunnel, but she was scared and she didn't want to get back into her body. So at this point, because she was kind of reluctant, her uncle pushed her. Oh, my gosh. She said she crashed back into her body, and it felt like diving into a pool of ice water. It hurt, 
and she could feel her body recoil because of it. So, question. Was this an actual out-of-body experience or a hallucination triggered by maybe the trauma that she was going through Mm -hmm. because of the brain surgery? Neurosurgeon Patrick Roten, he explains that sometimes when there's a trauma that the brain releases endorphins. Mm -hmm. This is similar to morphine, and it causes a sense of well-being for the patient, which also could cause these hallucinations and illusions. He seems to think that when you have people that see the light and all this stuff, that it all could be part of your brain setting you at ease. How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I I was up there and I just felt complete at ease? Yeah. Well, that's what he's kind of thinking, that, that your brain releases these endorphins because of that, and that's what makes you feel like that, kind of like being drugged up. He said the part, this part of the brain is also responsible for the sight, and it can be effectively causing seizures, making you see a white light. That's his opinion of what can be going on. Here's the problem with Pam's case, though. Her brain was the problem. Her brain is what they were operating on. Therefore, they had several monitors on her the entire time, and there was absolutely no seizures or of any kind or anything that could be uh, listed as, a, as, as, I guess you could say, extra trauma to the brain other than what they were doing. So in, in her case, there's no possible way that could be seizures that caused the white light. No, I mean, I, would, I tend to go the other route. That she did see her relatives and things like that. That would be a lot easier, it seems like, you know. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about some children's stories? Sure. There's a pediatrician by the name of Melvin Morris. And he's done tons of research into children with near-death experiences. He studied at Seattle Valley Medical Center for almost 20 years since having his first experience. Now, before his first experience, he had, you know, read about these stories and, and he was a doctor, so he hadn't really had too many experiences with, with like a out-of-body or near-death experience, but he had heard about it. So he just assumes that these were hallucinations from a lack of oxygen to the brain. That mm-hmm. was his just original thought. This hospital decided to conduct their own study over a 15-year period. They studied every child who came in and had a cardiac arrest and survived mm-hmm. the ordeal that was on the brink of death. Okay. 23 out of the 26 had a near-death experience. Daggone. So think about that. There was 26 children mm-hmm. that came into this hospital that had a cardiac arrest and was on the brink of death and came back. Out of the 26, 23 had near-death experiences. That's amazing. So they came to the conclusion... And follow me on this, because it's not going to seem too different. These were not near-death experiences. In fact, they were dying experiences. So to conclude, it's not really... It's 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 This is something that everybody who dies sees. It's just part of the dying process. Mm-hmm. But somehow, when you're brought back from the brink of death, you have this memory. So it's not only because you escaped death that you have it. He's saying that everybody sees this. You just actually live to tell it. Oh, wow. Makes sense? I didn't, I guess, really realize that everybody would have that experience. 
So apparently, to them. Well, apparently that's what they think. They think when you're dying, that happens. It's just these people somehow got yanked back, so they mm-hmm. were able to tell it. He says, when this happens, you suddenly have the ability to communicate with, with something that most people loosely call God. Dr. Morris has had all these children that had these experiences draw pictures of what they experienced. And here's some of those pictures. Can you see that? I do. It's beautiful. (laughs) Obviously, you can't see it. So I'm just going to tell you about some of them. A three-year-old drew what looked like a tunnel. And when I say a tunnel, I want to try to paint this picture for you because it's kind of difficult. Picture a ruler. Okay? Like Mm -hmm. a standard ruler. Angled up towards the sky. Yes. And... Picture if you took the ruler and you just sectioned it off into like four sections. Mm -hmm. And you started off with it being black at the bottom and then gray and then a lighter gray and then white. Mm -hmm. That's how he drew this. So it looked like you were, if you started, you were walking through where it was the darkest and it got lighter. Right. And then you could see the sky over top of it. And he said that right there was the light. And when you, he got up to that and then he got to heaven and he could, uh, he said he could double, double jump with God. Aww. And his kid was three. That's sweet. So he already at three years old was talking about traveling yeah. through a tunnel through the light and double jumping with God. Another young lady almost died from a diabetic coma. Her picture had a, had no religious aspect at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like what the other kid talked about God. She was on a bed. She had three people come to her that were doctors. He asked her how she knew that they were doctors. And she said because they were all tall. <laughs> <laughs> and they were dressed in white coats. And their bodies had light bulbs in them because they were all lit up with white light. Oh, dang. They pointed to a box that was on the side of her bed. Mm-hmm. And they said, if you press the green button, you can go with us, but you will never see your parents or family again. So she pressed the red button and was able to stay here on Earth. (laughs) Another girl nearly died of meningitis. She was five years old. She said she went to heaven and she met God. She drew a picture of some people that were standing in a corner. The little girl said that those people were grandmas and grandpas and babies that were waiting to be born. Five-year-old said this. Another little girl almost died of mono. She came into the facility in full cardiac arrest. They had to stick a needle directly into her heart to save her. She said at the time that, that she was being basically worked on, She was somewhere else, and she saw her grandma. She was just so shocked to see her because her grandma was dead. So she drew a picture of her grandma with this bright light right around her. He asked the little girl, you know, what what happened then? She said, well, I saw grandma with this white light, and then I was back. Mm -hmm. The doctor asked, what do you mean you were back? The little girl looked at him and said, That's what I've been trying to figure out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Dr. Morrison said that when you die, you're awake, conscious, and you have the perception of another reality, a loving reality. 
Eight million Americans claim to have a near-death experience. Eight million. That's unbelievable. Most have problems talking about it because these experiences are really awkward and they can't even talk with their doctor about it. They just don't feel like they feel either ashamed or they feel like they're going to be criticized. They They shouldn't feel ashamed. They say whenever they share these experiences, most were told that they were wrong or they imagined it. 18% of these people said that they did not have a positive near-death experience. These 18% had a dark or a hellish experience. Oh, Lord, that's awful. Most people look at their near-death experience as a positive experience, and it's changed their life. But these that have negative experiences, it has also changed their life, but in a negative way. They feel like they're doomed. Because there were so many cases like this, there was a support group that was started by the International Institute of Near-Death Studies for these people. Can you imagine? No, I mean, I think I would be trying to turn my world around or something. Some of these negative experiences that have been seen included one gentleman that said that he could see his casket being buried and he was in the casket still alive. And he could see them throwing the dirt and everything on, on top of the body. One lady said that she saw herself being put into a cave and when they went into the cave, it was fire all around and there was... People that that were like almost like Oompa Loompas or something that was constantly trying to cause her pain and sounds like she needs to be changing her ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I would get out of it, wouldn't you? If you well, had a second chance, the doctors seem to think that some of these experiences can be based on your re- religious background. So, if you grow up Catholic and mm-hmm. you believe in, you know purgatory or hellfire and damnation and you believe it in the literal sense for what you learn in the bible that could be what you experience on a negative if you were buddhist you might experience something completely different Mm -hmm. you know but what your version of of negative or hellish would be dependent on what has been implanted in your mind for the way you grew up Hmm. but there so it's really not in a sense their fault i guess but as you become an adult you should make the right decisions Sure, but I, but what I'm saying is the what you see on your hellish trip may be what you have experienced in your lifetime. Yeah. What your vision of hell is while you're alive. Mm. That might be what you experience. Yeah. So this brings us to deja vu, and I'm not talking about the strip club. Yeah. Because they're closed down, social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> We've all experienced it. You're at a place you've never been before, and you're like, hey. I'm pretty sure I've done this before. All this the time in my all the time. It kind of stops you in your tracks. It can also be a place that like you've been at many times. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it might be going to the zoo. And we've been to the zoo a whole bunch of times. But then while you're there, somebody says something and that triggers in your brain, hey, I can remember us having this conversation. So, so there's very different, many different types of deja vu. Most attribute this to astral projecting. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Most astral projections happens when you're asleep. Some people have trained themselves to be able to put themselves into like a trance and to be able to astral project during the daytime whenever they want to do it. Hmm. And I know we did our little Facebook Live last night with Shelby said that she had to learn to astral project. And like I said, I know I'll mention, like I said, we're not going to get real deep into astral projecting. 
But I can tell you that the Graveyard Tales guys did an awesome show on it. It was actually a little bit over my head. Really? If you guys really want to hear a good... I'm really screwed then. If you guys want to hear a really good episode on astral projecting, go check out the one that Graveyard Tales guys did. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we've talked about some cases of -of out-of-body experiences. Let's look at some scientific support of some out-of-body experiences and what may be happening. It said that you have three states of consciousness. One of them awake and two of them are sleep, you know, stages, okay? Mm-hmm. You have a non-REM state and you have an REM state. Rapid eye movement is what REM stands for. That's your best kind of sleep. When you're in REM state, that's when you astral project or you have your weirdest of weird dreams. During REM state, you actually turn off an area of the brain called the temporal parietal region. That's an important equation in all this because that region synthesizes your experiences. It takes info from your inner ear where you have a gravitational field. It takes your vision and your spotting sense and it combines them together. And when I say your spotting sense, it's like you know where your left foot is right now. Mm -hmm. Even without... Thinking about it, you just know this is where it's at. That's your ability to do that. And this is the part of the brain that controls that. So like you wouldn't even be thinking about where your left foot is right now had I not mentioned it, but now you are. So all this comes from this area. But if you turn it off, you can have an out-of-body experience because of that, that part of the brain. Most of the out-of-body experiences are from above, but it can also be from behind or from a side, there's never been any cases of somebody having an out-of-body experience where they could see from below. Does that make sense from from that angle? So it's not like you're never laying on the floor looking up. Looking up. Oh. Huh. There's a neurologist in Switzerland who has put an electrode on that part of your brain. He will send the current that's equivalent to one one-hundredth of a 60-watt light bulb into your brain. And when that happens in that region, the person goes in and out of its body. They can actually (laughs) track that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they have an out-of-body experience back and forth just by touching, sending electricity to that. People are likely to have an out-of-body experience when they are at at the end of the REM intrusion state. This is when you're NREM. Mm-hmm. but you're just about to wake up that split second where the two kind of mix together that can cause you to have the exact same sensation as a near-death experience yeah i must be an rem 90 percent of the time <laughs> the monroe institute was founded in 1956 by robert monroe he was an engineer and a broadcaster he was trying to invent a program where you could actually learn while you're asleep. And you've heard that before that if you played like these tapes on how to speak right. a foreign language or something while you're asleep that you could learn it better. He was trying to create a program that would do that. He discovered that certain sound frequencies could be used to create altered state of consciousness. Since it opened to the public in 1974, over 7,000 people have come here to study or to be studied. They report that over 2 million people have used their tapes to learn how to astral project. An unlikely source of recreating some of these out-of-body experiences 
is the U.S. Navy centrifuge. Have you seen this thing? This is the thing that it's like it takes up a, it's basically a long arm, a metal arm, and it's got just a place for an astronaut to sit inside, and it just swings around yeah, and around like that. a, mm-hmm. it's almost like something you'd see in an amusement park. This was created in 1972 to help pilots not to crash during blackouts. So when the, the G-force gets too hard, too high on there, mm-hmm. sometimes they can just pass out. And yeah. if you pass out and you're behind the wheel of a plane, yeah, that's not good. that could be a problem. So at the point of passing out, several pilots have uh, basically the, the equivalent of an out-of-body experience. The pilots would go out, and then they would just wake up all of a sudden, and they would feel like that they were awakened from the middle of a dream. One even said that he was in a grocery store. So he thought he was in a grocery store. <laughs> he was actually sitting in the centrifuge. Yeah. So anyways, that's basically what we've got for some of the ways that they could recreate this and some mm-hmm. of the ways that you might be able to do it yourself. But yeah. that's the basics of people having out-of-body experiences. That's a lot to know. It is. And we've probably done it and don't even know it. Yeah, because, I mean, anytime you've had deja vu. I you have know, that a lot. And, you know, we, I think we covered deja vu, but I think we forgot the end part of it. But deja vu, basically, is they think that you've been out of your body and you've went and done these things and then you come back and you relive mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But you've basically, you had an out-of-body experience where you went to the future. So that's why it looks familiar to you when you've done it. Yeah. It's real interesting. But, yeah, it all has to do with out-of-body experiences. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's what we got. I need to go have an out-of-body experience. That is going to the bathroom. That's not an out-of-body. Oh. Well, for some things, it would be (laughs) (laughs) out-of-body. All right. So the Facebook Live things we've been doing on Saturday, we've been very happy with how that's turned out. We're glad you you guys are enjoying it. We're going to put it on this coming week. We've got Diane Student from History Goes Bump. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously... That's longtime friend, and that is the same day that we were actually supposed to be doing the live event in Louisville. So yeah, you'll get you'll get two of us, and it won't be exactly the same. But right, right, it won't be. Damn it would it. be cool if I could fit everybody on the screen, but we literally had like nine people. I couldn't do that. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, that is sure. a lot. <laughs> yeah, but we got that, and then the following week, the guys from Graveyard Tales are going to join us. So Saturday night, eight p.m. Eastern. Set your calendars. And your clocks. <laughs> and uh, it will be in our Facebook group. This this uh, weekend's will also be in Diane's History Goes Bump Facebook group as well. Good. So, sounds fun. I love this thing, but the problem we got, we found out the first time, is we I can put this thing in two places, okay? But if I put it in a group, it doesn't pick up the people and they come across as Facebook user. If I put it on on my profile, as we found out last night, none of those comments, people make the comments, but we don't see them okay. until after the fact. Yeah. So the only way to do this is to put it in the actual group. So we just need to make everybody know that's where it's going to be at is in the, uh, not the group, I'm sorry, the fan page. So the HHS fan page is where this is going to be. It's the only way we can actually see your comments. Right. So we had people asking questions last night. We never saw them. Yeah. And that's a so shame. It sucked. But yeah. For real. That's the way it is. Tracy, what we got for um, Patreons and iTunes reviews? Um, reviews. Um, this week we had Mom101609. 
and some guy named Rich Grand, which bite me. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm Thank- sorry. Were you interrupting? <laughs> Thank you guys for your reviews. Um, we'd like to see a lot more, if you could. If you're just bored or anything like that, we would love to see those. Um, our Patreons this week, we had Mary Hall, Robert Heredia, and I know I sound that, said that wrong. Sorry, Robert. Amanda Luther, L.L. Winchester, Dana Felton, and H.L. Sisson. Thank you guys so, so much for your Patreon support. We appreciate that so much. Um, and then, did you say anything about the being number six thing? No, I didn't. I okay, didn't. so let Jerry say that to you guys. Yeah, we had, uh, uh, I guess, a top ten countdown from Verbal. That's V-U-R-B-L-E. Uh I was unfamiliar with them until today, unfortunately, but they put out a top 10 list of podcasts and it was, um, unsolved mystery type podcast. So it was ghosts and it was true crime and a little bit of everything mixed in. So it wouldn't one category. And we were actually number six on that. Uh, Astonishing Legends was number one. Yeah. No big surprise there that, uh, them guys always take the mm-hmm. cake. But there was a lot of good company on there. Yeah. Generation Y was on there. We were on there. So we, we were thrilled to death to even be mentioned. So yes. we just want to give a big thank you to Verbal. Thank for, you so much. Yeah, I'm very, list. very honored. And, you know, I would say a lot of that has to do with you guys, too, whether you may not know it or not. I'm not sure, but um, I'm sure your nice comments and um, telling people to listen to us. And I'm, I'm sure that helped it along the way yeah. for sure. And we just wanted to say we appreciate you guys so much for that. Yep. And we've got some really good shows coming up for you guys. Some good guests. I know uh, I just did an interview the other night with Linda Godfrey. And if you know anything about uh, cryptids, Bigfoot, dogmen, any of that, she was actually the newspaper columnist and author who broke the Beast of Bray Road story. That was hers. Nobody had discussed it. She put it in the paper. She ended up writing the first book on it. Uh, she's phenomenal. It was an awesome interview. It was about almost an hour long, and it was just one of my favorites that we've ever done. I know we've got uh, Nick Groff is going to be coming mm-hmm. on soon. We've got Steve Coles that I actually set up today. And if you are you people in the Bigfoot realm, you know Steve. He's been on all the the big shows, mm-hmm. and he's uh, this is this is going to be fun. I've mentioned a couple of times that Steve kind of uh, uh, n- not really politely let me know that i was completely full of crap when i said that what's about the possibility of bigfoot being an alien so he was was real quick to point out that uh absolutely not and that's not the case and it aggravates him to have people so and it's one of my favorite stories i've ever had with an interaction with somebody in the Uh field but um I talked to him today. He's going to come on. We're going to do that this coming week. And so, yeah, we're, we're kind of far on those episodes. So most of these things like Linda's episode will be almost probably three weeks from now for it mm-hmm. airs and Steve's will be right after. But yeah, we're, we're trying to line up some guests. I'm going after some, some heavy hitters right now. So we'll see if we get lucky. Some of these people probably wouldn't come on before, but now they probably don't have as much to do. <laughs> so I might be able to. to so you know, what are you saying? They're bored. <laughs> I'm trying to say it's our best shot. <laughs> So anyway, guys, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, if you if you got questions for Diane or us for this coming week, be thinking about it. 
and we'll go ahead and have fun. And if you don't, if you don't think you can watch the live because you're going to be tied up doing something and you still want to ask a question, send it to us and we'll ask it even though it doesn't come up on the comments. Yeah, it'd be great. So. We look forward to these. These are pretty fun, actually. They are pretty fun. Mm. All right, guys. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Y'all have a blessed week. Take care.